the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Christians in a world where beauty equals power. And later, why do we go to church? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I am joined today by my favorite special guest co-host. That is my friend, my neighbor, Catherine McNeil. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Aubrey. I'm so glad to be your favorite. Favorite person in the whole world, I think I heard you say. (laughs) Yes, I think that's exactly what what it was. Hopefully my husband and children are not listening. Um, So Brian is actually at his son's like baseball tournament. So we're cheering him on. A lot of our listeners know that this is Brian's big baseball time of year. And uh, for his son with his traveling team. And so Catherine's uh, filling in for Brian the next couple of days. So this is so fun. I love it. It's so fun. And baseball is a very worthy cause. Yes. Baseball is important to you too. Not necessarily like your kids, the way Brian, right. but like just in your family tradition and narratives and mm-hmm. ethos. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Uh, sadly, I regret to inform you that my, none of my children have taken to baseball at all. Really? Not even like as not- a fan, fans? Oh no! Well, uh, yeah, not really, yeah, actually, I, yeah, yeah. It's, oh man, it's this is actually more tragic than I realized. <laughs> it's hard when your kids are like people of their own. You know, you don't just actually get yeah. to form them exactly how you want to. So, good, maybe. But one I day. think, I think they all know that the Chicago Cubs are the team that we that our family roots for. Okay, you know, that's good. I think. Yeah, I think they understand right and wrong in that respect. So that's <laughs> okay, good. good. Well, that feels like you've done your job then. Well done, <laughs> well done Catherine. Well, uh, Catherine, thanks so much for being here with us today, like I said. And for all of you listeners out there, happy Monday. So glad that you're with us. Catherine, I was reading a really interesting op-ed over at the New York Times. And I I, I don't want to unpack it all, but here's what I, here's what I kind of want to just bring up and have us have a debate about okay this author was writing about being in brazil and how she discovered that in brazil beauty is a right meaning Hmm. um uh, things like plastic surgery things like the beauty industry um you know things around it where in the united states for some people we would say it's a right but a lot of us would say it's a privilege and maybe even a frivolity she's saying in brazil it's a form of self-care and so apparently Mm -hmm. i don't know much about the life of brazil but apparently you know plastic surgery rates in brazil and are high other beauty regimes are high and that um, a lot of insurance covers uh, a lot of insurance policies covers forms of beauty as self-care and they say there, there's nothing embarrassing. This is a quote from her article, in New York Times. There's nothing embarrassing about wanting to meet society's standards for how we look, no matter our social class. There's no denial that small changes we can make to our surfaces have profound influence on our quality of life and that beauty is often a means of gaining power. Hmm. So this is a person from the United States in Brazil 
commenting and, and talking about these things that cosmetic care is, is sort of the norm for self-care in Brazil. Now, I I think this is a complicated issue and I just wanted to talk yeah. about it. I'm not even know not even sure, Catherine, what to say, but I it's like I've got here's what I've got. I'll just be honest. I've got my okay. I've got my glorious dynam and my Naomi Wolf, the beauty myth in my <laughs> head that says these great feminist icons in America have said, no, this is a multi-billion dollar industry at this point, living off of the message that like women aren't enough, especially women. It's not that right. men are, are right. untouched by this industry, yes. but let's just say primarily women or majority women. Um, and that that's a, you know, that's a lie. We've, we've commodified yeah. ourselves in one sense. Um, but then I think I live in a reality of a world where like, I want to color my hair and I want to have nice skin and I want to look pretty. And I, do you know what I mean? So it's yeah, like this I thing do. that, you know, if I'm going to be really authentic, this, this thing in me that wants to feel attractive. And I understand that in one sense, beauty is a commodity that I want to wield because right, I want right. to feel good about myself and I want to walk in a room and feel confident and also what a lie it is. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So it's like a very, a very strange beauty as power is a very strange thing to think about. And then you add your Christian faith to that, right? which tells a totally different story. Although it may define beauty differently. Maybe that's ultimately where we land. So I don't know, Catherine, I'm just saying things. <laughs> Any thoughts? I, oh man, do I have thoughts? Is there any topic on the earth? I don't have thoughts about Aubrey. I feel I like I could, I could, yeah. I feel like I could instantaneously write five totally yeah. different essays on. Like, that's topic. why I knew we could talk about it today. Here's where I'm going to start, though. Okay. I Well, I'm going to agree with you that there is a multi-billion dollar industry in the United States and possibly around the world trying to convince people and especially women and especially girls um, that there's something inherently wrong with us. But yeah. if we could buy their product, then we could be loved, then we yeah. could be valued. Yeah. So I am going to be suspicious about this entire this entire idea. Yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily the same thing as beauty. Mm. You know what I mean? I think that there is something, and theologians have even discussed this at length. There is something very inherent in humans that requires beauty. The yeah. kind of beauty I think we need is trees and flowers yeah. and oceans and lakes and yeah. stars yeah. and our children and our loved ones. Yeah. I would um, add to not that, like beautiful not, truth, like art and yes, music. And, mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. But I think what hits me most about what we've said so far is the idea that beauty is a right. Mm. And I think that when people in the United States, at least say something is a right, what we, R-I-G-H-T, yes. obviously not R-I-T-E. Yep. I think what we primarily mean is it shouldn't just be wealthy people who have access to it. Yeah. Every human should have yeah. access to this, yeah. whether they are wealthy or very under-resourced. Yeah. So when we talk about healthcare being a right, what we're saying is, is that it shouldn't just be people in the upper middle class and upper class who can afford health care. Mm -hmm. Everyone who lives in the United States should have access yes. to good health care. Yes. So I think if this author is making a case for um, these beauty yes, augmentations right. that are culturally appropriate in Brazil mm -hmm. being accessible to everyone, regardless of their class. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd be interested in hearing what she had to say, yeah. but there are so many cultural layers 
for me as a middle-class American Christian woman that would maybe get in my way of, of hearing what she was saying. Those are my thoughts. She's talking about the story is about uh, uh, framed through a story of her daughter, young daughter who uh, fell and had a scar on her face. And she was in Brazil when it happened Mm -hmm. and they treated her with plastic surgery. And she said, my daughter won't need to wear her scar as a badge of toughness and her inability to live with it won't be a failure of her personality. She's allowed to want to feel beautiful. That's how mm-hmm. it ended. So she's mm-hmm. talking specifically about appearance, yeah. obviously, as beauty. Yeah. So then I think in that case, there's definitely a case to be made that it shouldn't just be the wealthy people in society who have that option. Yeah. Um, that anyone contributing to society should have that option if that is a cultural value you decide to espouse. Do you think for the Christian there is a line at which this isn't a value that we should espouse? Well, I think it depends on if the value we're talking about espousing is equal access to the goodness of life for the, mm. for those without resources. Yeah, yeah. Or if the value we're talking about espousing is changing our bodies to meet a cultural definition of beauty. There you go. That's good. So for the first, absolutely. For the yeah. second, probably not so much. Yeah, I was I was thinking I was reminded of you know it's prophecy in Isaiah that we attribute to Jesus um which you know I don't know that Isaiah knew that he was writing about Jesus but he says he grew up before him like a tender shoot like a root out of dry ground he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him so I I think going back to one of the things that we started to talk about is like how we define beauty um, yeah, how we define beauty, I think ultimately has to be about our creator and has to be about our savior. And, and this, I mean, I'm, I'm even a little disturbed. I understand, like, I've got kids who've been hurt and I don't want, I don't, gosh, I don't want my, you know, the, the mm-hmm. scar that my son got on his forehead when he was little to be like the thing that everybody yeah. notices about him first. I understand that as a parent, but I also even think, gosh, have we so twisted what we understand beauty to be that this is um, something we're even putting on our children. I think that's where I get in a little bit. It, it worries yeah. me beauty as this well, standard for self-care. And yet again, I'm sitting here saying, right. I like it and I want it. Well, and then I think another component here is that in the New Testament where people, especially women, are are encouraged to be modest, mm. what modesty means in that context is not dressing or changing your appearance in a way that would show that you are a person of wealth rather than a slave. Mm. So I think that that would have to be a component for a Christian to decide too. And that goes back then, I think, to the idea of it being a right. Um, Is this something that is going to demonstrate that you have more privilege than others in the Christian Mm. community? Mm. Yeah. Interesting to think about. All right. Beauty as commodity. We'll have to talk about that with Brian and get his point of view. I'd, I'd be curious from a male's perspective, what he thinks coming up next. Why do we go to church? We're going to talk about that question. When we return, you're listening to the common good on AM 1160 hope for your life. Catherine and I are both church goers, church are. people, local church gals. I would say. <laughs> and, um, you know, if those of us who, those folks who've joined the common good and, and listened to the show know that Brian and I are both pastors and we love the local church. We care deeply about the church. And of course, there's all kinds of, I mean, there's all kinds of honestly confusing, conflicting, sometimes alarming, sometimes no big deals, 
uh, research around church attendance being down. I, but I would hmm. say, generally speaking, we can all say post COVID, a lot of church minute, a lot of church attendance is down. Although the more pastors I'm talking to, at least ana- anecdotally, are saying slowly starting to rise again. They're feeling energy again. Mm-hmm. They're seeing people come back. Most pastors and most research is saying that people attend a church service only once a month. So it used to be every other week. Now it's once every four weeks. So that's, that's wow. interesting the way that that wow. kind of um, steady church going is changing. Um, and Scott McKnight over at his blog is asking this question. Mike Glenn is actually a pastor who's writing for him, but why do we go to church is really I think a basic question, but a pretty foundational one. And maybe one we've all sort of forgotten. Yeah. Uh, so Catherine, I'll just start with you. Like just personally, why do you, cause you don't have to go to church. Why do you go yeah. to church? Oh man. Why do I go to church? Well, there's so many layers to that one. I mean, on the one, on the one hand, you know, I know this is cliche to say, but church isn't the building, it's the people, you know, and yep, but that's yep. actually true. I, yep. To be a Christian is to join a team of people who are living life differently together. Yeah. And so you can't be a part of that team if you don't go to where that team meets. So yeah, right. part of part of it is, I think it's just, it is how it is. And, but on a more kind of practical level, I think I go to church because I have learned to enjoy the formation of myself and my family that comes through hearing teaching together, Mm -hmm. singing together, Mm -hmm. putting aside a block of time that is pointed towards worshiping God with community and building relationships there. I don't know. How about you? Yeah, that's great. Uh, I I think. Yeah. I mean, that, I would say that too. I think you're right that it's, it's not a building, but a people, but that collective gathering of those people matter. And in our society, that's a Sunday morning church service. Yeah. And so I, um, I would say, I would say partly I go for that too. Like the community, the worshiping together with other Christians to increase my own faith. Like I just find like, I need to borrow the faith of other believers. I need to borrow the faith of the person singing. Like I just need to be uplifted in that way. Um, I like learning. I like my kids being around older Christians and different Christians and even younger Christians. I like sharing in the sacraments together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do I do, yeah, believe in kind of that embodied collective Christianity. So I think that's part of part of why we go to church. Right. Um, it's, it's a way it's, to enter into the story, mm, I think. That's with good, Catherine. Say, unpack that some more. That's good. Uh, well, a way to enter into the story with your body, because depending on what kind of church you go to, you are you're going to a place, you're watching things be enacted in front of you. You're enacting a few things yourself. Um, so I, I love that for my kids, especially when they were little, I would point mm. to the symbols or the colors or mm. the acts of the sacraments or the acts of worship and say, look, like we do this because we believe X, Y, Z, or we mm. do this because we want ourselves to be changed or formed in X, Y, Z ways. Yeah. So do you yeah. think, um, like, 
it, this is almost a cliche as well, but I actually have a lot of conversations with people who say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church, or I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church, or I'm a Christian, but yeah. I walked away from the church. I want to remove this from like a church hurt, church trauma conversation, but just kind of the average person who says they're a follower of Christ, but is like not interested in church. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? To me, that feels like a totally <laughs> cognitive dissonance yeah. that can't actually be true. One thing that I wrote about in one of my books, Fearing Bravely, is that I think we have conflated loving God and being loved by God with being a Christian. And mm. I think that's kind of the underlying problem here. I absolutely believe that someone can love God and be loved by God and never go to a church. Mm. But to be a Christian is to join this team of people who are following Christ mm. um, and living in a different way together. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I guess I don't think you can be a Christian and not go to church. Yeah. Uh, and you know, unless there are extenuating circumstances and the, you know, the list of extenuating circumstances yeah. would be very long. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think that you can love and be loved by God and not go to church, whether or not you go to church. Yep. So, um, I had mentioned earlier this over at Scott McKnight's blog, Mike Glenn is talking about this. Why do we go to church? And he, he says a few reasons why, um, he says one, we go to church because the church needs us. He says, we don't go to church for quote, what we can get out of it. He says, I can't find anywhere in scripture where it says we will get something every time we show mm -hmm. up, but I can show you a lot of passages that talk about what we're to do what we're to bring when we come to worship. He says, worship happens best when we come to celebrate what we have seen God do in our lives. And from that, anticipating what God will do in the days and weeks to come. Um, and then he says, we go to church because we are needed. I think this is so true. He says on every pew in every church, there's heartache. If you knew the stories, they would break your heart. And we show up because people need us to bear a little bit of their burden. So we yeah. pray with them. We provide resources. We listen to them. Everybody gets a turn. And uh, right now it's their turn. But then he says at some point our turn is coming. Like at some point life is going to get hard for us. And so we need to be in church. So we've got people that can walk with us through those difficult seasons. And so he, ultimately he says, we need Jesus. We need each other. And yes, we need the church. And then he goes on to say, I know the church is filled with hypocrites and self-righteous pretenders. This is what happens when you open the door and don't charge admission. Hmm. The church isn't perfect, but again, a perfect church wouldn't let us in. And then I love this, Catherine. I think you'll appreciate this too. He says, this Sunday, go to church, go home. Mama needs you. We need mama. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so, great. So yeah. beautiful. So that's why we go to church. All Agreed. right, Brian. I mean, I just called you Brian. Sorry, what? Catherine. Catherine. Brian's not here today. No, Brian's not here. He'll appreciate that though. Um, I am dying to know if you have followed this trend on TikTok, that of the trad wife. You and I are going to unpack this. I feel like we're both going to have some feelings when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Um, I thought having Catherine here was a fabulous time to talk about this trend on TikTok, which you listeners may or may not know about. I didn't know that it existed until USA Today did a story about it, but this is something called the trad wife. Have you heard before today of the trad wife, Catherine? Uh, well, I have to confess, I have never once in my life been on TikTok, but I have heard of the trad wife. 
There is the tread wife okay, has definitely escaped TikTok and made it into she's, public she's discourse. She's moved outside yes. of TikTok into other places. Yep, okay, for sure. Can you, to the best of your ability, define for our listeners what the trad wife is? Okay, well, this is just me taking a shot. I definitely don't feel like I'm an expert, but the sense that I get is that this is someone who sees herself as a traditional housewife. That's where the trad mm-hmm. wife is short for traditional housewife. Yep. But yep. not just not just in almost militantly. Um, mm. You know, I know a lot of women who are stay-at-home moms or yes. uh, really value, you know, home-cooked meals and things. Mm-hmm. Uh that would not be fit into trad wife uh that there's yeah. there's a certain uh component to it that being just a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home housewife does not make you it's it's necessary but not sufficient for being a trad wife i don't know exactly how to put my finger on this sort of militance that seems to be associated with the phrase like when it changes from just your typical stay-at-home mom to the trad yes. wife, I think yeah. it is kind of the the line that we're talking about. There's a trad wife influencer on TikTok who's pretty famous. Esty Williams is her name. Hmm. In her eyes, trad wives are homemakers who prior whose priority is cooking, cleaning, and being subservient to men. Ah. But she says such submission isn't quote degrading. It's her choice. Here's what she says. It doesn't mean you're below the man, because if you think about it, it's a compliment. The man, he needs that woman to be beside him, to motivate him, to be there for him. So what does William's marriage look like? Let me give you some things that USA Today is saying. Her husband, an electrician, must approve major purchases she makes. It's not like she needs to check in with him for a pack of gum or coffee. They have a budget. They try to stay into it. She grew up in a, she's 25 years old. She grew up in a traditional conservative household, but when her parents got divorced, it turned her world upside down. This is interesting. She said, at that point, I started growing up and was pushed into college so I could depend on myself. Her mom encouraged her to do that in case something happened. She said, but that plan didn't last. She dropped out of college, found her husband first. And then she says she sees them as equals with different roles. The hard part is it doesn't come across as like equality, but that's, you right. know, that's what she's saying that she says that they're equals. There's some, and it's a certain aesthetic too. It's kind of this fifties sitcom yes. lifestyle. Like if you look at her, yep. she's got coiffed hair and very um, feminine clothing with almost with like the, uh-huh. um, what's the thing underneath that pulls you tight and makes your waist. Oh, a uh, bodice or a corset. Yeah. 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 And, that- and she's got like a Bob hairstyle kind mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of what you were saying, she's saying there's this ridiculous idea that trad wives are sinister. Apparently not all trad wives are extremists, but there has been some connection like that. This trad wife lifestyle is a gateway to white supremacy. And that's a little bit of where the danger comes. There's a lot of, I mean, yeah. obviously I think over sexualization of women over like the subservientness, which I think is really, really dangerous and dark and scary. But then also this idea that we're longing for a time period that it's like a false nostalgia for a time period that was good, but obviously it it was good for white men. 
Right. And right. so there's been some links between some of these trad wife movement leaders and honestly, white supremacy. So people are questioning its danger. This is weird, right, Catherine? I just yeah. have to say this is wild. Yeah, this is weird. And, you know, I'm I'm really struck by her saying that she is and and she believes that women should be submissive submissive to men, but that, that doesn't mean that men are above them. Well, it literally does. Yeah. That's what those words mean. It actually means that. And yeah. it's interesting that she says, you know, her husband needs to approve major purchases, not a pack of gum or coffee. Um, but you know, I would say that myself, I'm not going to go out and buy oh, a car yeah. or even, I'm not even going to buy something for a hundred dollars without being right. like, Hey, do you right. think we should spend the money on X, Y, Z? The difference is, is that my husband is going to do the same for me. Yeah, he's exactly. not going to, he's not going to pause before he buys himself a cup of coffee, yeah. but he's not going to spend a hundred dollars without checking with me because we are equals in our marriage. Mm. And so I think what it comes down to is autonomy. Who gets mm. to make decisions for others and who doesn't. And yeah. that's, that is where it becomes problematic, whether it's between men or women or elsewhere in society. Mm. So that I think does get sinister. I, I agree so with you. Too. There's a, a woman named Noelle Cook, who's been researching the rise of the right wing through social media and the trad wife movement specifically. And this is interesting. She, now she says not this woman um, that we've been talking about she says not her, but other trad okay. wife influencers says that in plain sight, they will hide supremacist messages in their hashtags. So you'll see hashtags like revolt against the modern world, hashtag homemaker house, hashtag housewife, hashtag traditional wife. That's fine. Right. seems uh -huh. innocuous. But then um, there's some that'll throw in hashtag uncleated, which is apparently a reference to Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Oh. Um, and and there's some other examples of that where there's like, it's like, um, it's like a, a doorway, a gateway into the incel movements, into white supremacy movement. It's very, very bizarre. And I... I actually, I mean, like you said, Catherine, I know a lot of wonderful stay-at-home moms that love cooking for their family, supporting their family, staying at home and taking their kids. I was a stay-at-home mom for years, but the difference is, I think, about the, like, equity in the marriage, the equality in the marriage. Right, and, right. But, like, just, like, mutuality, right? Like, yes. you were talking about it, submission is subservient if it's not mutual. And Absolutely. obviously one person gets more space than the other, but knowing that there is something kind of dark behind this movement, I think it's something right. we all need to just be aware of. Certainly. That's so good that's, to know. Wow. A trad wife. I just, this is like Fascinating. blowing me away. I didn't know. It's interesting to me too, that it's reaching, um, millennials and Gen Zers. Like I would not have thought the next generation would be drawn to this kind of thing. Uh, well, yeah, that's interesting. It seems like we, these things just keep coming around, you know, no matter what we do, but, um, yeah, I think these things just keep coming around. <laughs> yeah, there you go. History yep. repeats itself basically yep. is what you're saying. Yep. Let's, let's be smart about it. Maybe is the right. right or discerning about it is the right way to think about it. All right. Let us know what you think about being trad wives on social media at common good talk. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the surprising benefits of sarcasm. You're listening to the common good on AM 1160 hope for your life. 
Uh, Catherine, are you, do you consider yourself a sarcastic person? <laughs> oh, that man, was such that's a, a... That was such a sarcastic <laughs> laugh. That response was so sarcastic. That's hard for me to answer because on the one hand, I am an incredibly earnest person. Yeah, like I am right. just so earnest. Right. But on the other hand, I really like kind of smart, witty banter. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where that comes into play. Do you feel like it depends um, on who you're with? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Do you feel like you're raising a sarcastic family? Definitely not. No. Yeah. A more earnest no. family. We're very earnest and genuine and sincere, but I think we really do like kind of like smart humor. Yes. And smart humor, I think, is sometimes mistaken for sarcasm or or sarcasm had there's a venn diagram with overlap <laughs> that's good that's <laughs> how about really you good. how about you um kevin's mom used to say that sarcasm was the form of communication for the inauthentic and i i, <laughs> I didn't i i didn't necessarily agree with her because i find i also enjoy sarcasm with certain people but i could see how you if you're only sarcastic all the time it could feel like a mask you're putting up or a defense mechanism or something sure like that. yeah but i do yeah. think for americans like we just use sarcasm so regularly uh, when kevin and i were in zambia that was one of the things we actually really missed is people who could be sarcastic with us and understood our sarcasm because we were yeah. sarcastic at times and it wasn't received and we'd be like oh yeah this isn't a sarcastic country like we have to remember that that's a very american wow. form of communication so that was, so I, I appreciate sarcasm. I don't always want it every once in a while. I'm sure our listeners know this maybe cause he's a boy. I'm not sure, but Brian, will, <laughs> Brian will be more sarcastic at times when I'm like trying not to be. And I'll be like, quit it. You're being mean to me. Like so every once in a while it yeah. goes too far. But generally, yep, yep. I mean, I have a household of three boys and a husband. So generally like we operate with yeah. a lot of sarcasm at our house yeah i don't yeah, i think yeah. i just don't like when it gets mean and consistent I, oh I mean, right yeah no one does yeah i think i think there's biting sarcasm mm -hmm. where it's like i am not going to let myself be vulnerable but i am going to attack you yeah that's not <laughs> and i and that's different from kind of the witty banter that i enjoy yeah those are two really different things that maybe go by the same name that's good okay so i bring this up because uh stephen barr he's been on the show before he's a pastor of a church uh in kind of a church movement in disney okay. called cast member church they're very oh. like, organic missional house church movement it's really really fun it's all with disney cast members and it's fascinating. Um, yeah, he's he's a great guy, but he posted something on Instagram that I thought would be a fun experiment for us, Catherine. He had a list of okay. phrases that he says, try to say these without sounding sarcastic. Oh my goodness. And I can't decide, like I, I can't share them with you because then I'll say it. So you've got the list in front of you. I've got the list okay. in front of you. I think let's okay. just give it a go. Let's just try. Okay. To, let's just try to say these phrases without sounding sarcastic, and then we'll just talk about it. We'll just talk about them. Okay. Okay. Can I ask a question about Please. the rules? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Am I allowed to add in other words, yeah. or do I need to have just no. these words? No, I think add other words. Add other. Feel okay. free to make it your make it your own. Stephen Barr would be okay with that. So okay. Then I am. I'm gonna knock this out of the park. Okay. I am. I can win this game. Okay. So you're gonna say this without sounding. So oh, may. Oh. 
Maybe you can't. No, you can't add other ones. I've just changed. Oh it. man. Changed okay. It. Okay. You Giving me a to, handicap. Okay. You have to say these things right. without sounding sarcastic. Okay. Okay. Uh, should we take turns? Like you'll do one and I'll do yep. the next yep. one. Okay. Okay. So here we go. You ready? Yep. Okay. Do the do the not sounding sarcastic, and then we'll do the sarcastic sounding. Okay. Okay. You go first. Am I going first? Yes. Okay. <gasps> That's great. <laughs> uh, that was pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. That was pretty good. Can I do my sarcastic yeah, version now? Yeah, let's hear the sarcastic. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I told okay, you this is going to be fun. <laughs> okay, all right. I've got the next one. Oh, I don't even okay. know if I can do this one. This one's tricky to do, not sarcastic. Okay, give me give me a moment. This isn't great okay. radio because I need a moment to gather my thoughts. Yep, here, but, yep, okay. yep. <laughs> do you need me to do this? Maybe yeah, I should do, do all the earnest ones and you do all okay. the sarcastic yeah, ones. Yeah, you do it. You okay, do I one. feel like I can do this one. Okay, do it. Do it. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> that one is one of the hardest ones. That one's so hard because I feel like even that, like... Yeah, that guess, was a little patronizing. Yeah, yeah. But I guess sarcastic would be like, good for you. Like kind of that is more sarcastic. Right, right. Okay. 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 You, yeah, you do the non-sarcastic next one. Okay. Have fun. I think that was pretty good. <laughs> oh, thank that you. That one's hard for me to see. Sarcastic would be like, oh, it'd be like, have fun, like that. Uh huh. Okay, uh huh. Yeah, have fun. Yeah. Okay. Here. Let's, okay. Let's hear your non-sarcastic okay. version of this one. Fascinating. Ooh, that was good, Captain. That felt very sincere. Um, thank you. Okay. Thank so you. sarcasm, sarcastic is like. That is like, hmm, fascinating. No? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean. Kind of? That one's tricky. Context dependent, you know, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Okay. I kind of want to flip this one. I want to do the sarcastic one on this. Okay. How about you try being earnest for this okay. one? Okay. I'm going to try to be earnest. <gasps> Thanks for that. Oh, that works. Thank you. Thank you. It's yeah, high, I like high that. pitched. Okay. You, now yep. you do it sarcastic. Thanks for that. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> that's that's actually one i use a lot actually yeah. <laughs> thanks for that okay uh okay i'm gonna try i'll try to keep going with non-sarcastic okay, okay. Right? well done okay. you <laughs> <laughs> that works but i still don't want to hear it yeah yeah <laughs> okay do the sarcastic okay see if i can make it sarcastic well done you <laughs> <laughs> it really feels like it's high pitched or low pitched like that feels uh-huh. like where we've we've okay i'm um, like if you go up at the end or if you go uh-huh. down. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, this one, let's see. This one's going to be hard. Um, oh, man. Okay, do you feel like you can do this one non-sarcastic? Oh, this one's really hard. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll try it. Okay, you try. You try. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> that one. I feel like sounds sarcastic no it's matter impossible. what. Oh, I know. I think that is just a sarcastic yeah, phrase. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But let's move on. Oh, this one almost feels really impossible. Okay. I'm going to try this one. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I can't. I can't. Okay. <clears throat> sounds thrilling. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't buy that at all. No, no, no. Okay. See, this is why I wanted to add words. Because if yeah. I could put your name in here, I'd be like, Aubrey. That sounds thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> it's still co- 
becomes a crap. Okay, 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 okay. Okay. This now one, this one's oh, impossible. No my, way. My Zambian friend uh, Martha used to always say this, and she'd go, "What a shame!" And like she oh. meant it, like "What a shame!" Oh yeah, no, I hear that. Yeah. I hear the you meaning. You hear there. the sincerity there, right? Okay. Uh-huh. The last one. Last one feels tricky. You th- uh-huh. just, just say this one as sarcastic as you can. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess the opposite would be like, the opposite is like you're talking to a little kid, right? You're like, wow. Uh, I think the opposite is, wow. Okay, that's good. That's good. Almost like you're worshiping or something. Yeah. I just want to say if there's any talent agents out there that would like to talk with me about my future (laughs) career in acting, I... Yeah. I, I can get you my number. Yeah, she's here. You can follow her yep. at Catherine McNeil. All right. I thought that was pretty fun. Well done, Catherine. I, I feel like you're the winner. You're the winner <laughs> of that one. Well, we will be back again tomorrow. Catherine's going to be Woo-hoo! joining us again from 4 to 6 p.m. So excited for that. For Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.